Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is Wednesday where we do our breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and then sometimes we teach chanting as well. But today is all about breathing mindfulness meditation and our next session is going to be loving kindness meditation. So welcome, really glad that you guys are here to join. I'm not actually going to be teaching or discussing anything about breathing mindfulness meditation unless you guys have questions. What I plan to do is actually just go right into a meditation session. And then when we're finished, whatever questions you guys have about your practice and where you are and how things are developing and questions that you might have to help you develop further, we can take all of those once we're done with meditation. And while we're actually meditating, just relax, just enjoy the meditation. If you are able to relax the mind and kind of get yourself into a real peaceful state, I'm going to be providing just a little bit of guidance and then just kind of allowing you guys to kind of drift off into meditation, but staying focused on the breath the whole time. Because remember, the goal of breathing mindfulness meditation is to focus on the breath any thoughts, ideas, perceptions, or anything from the past or future that comes into the mind, just cut that off and let it go. And wherever you notice that the mind is off that breath, just cut it off and let it go and bring the mind right back to the breath. And we'll start with some chanting and then finish up with some chanting and then have some questions at the end. So thank you all for joining. If you guys would like to go ahead and get into your meditation position, wherever that is, whether it's on the floor or a chair or a bench or whatever you do when you meditate just get into that position where the lower body is comfortable and the upper body should be nice and erect this is where the muscles stay engaged around the the spine and you're able to keep the mind attentive or alert this allows the mind to stay active during meditation because you should be a purposeful meditation session. It should be very active where the mind is actively aware of the breath and wherever it notices that it's not on the breath, cut that off and let it go and bring it back to the breath. So that's why you need to keep that mind attentive and alert. The hands and the arms, the Buddha placed his right hand over his left with his thumbs together and then he put that in his lap. But you can really put your hands wherever you like. You can put palms on the thighs or on the knees or on the armrests of a chair if you're in a chair. Totally up to you. By the time you get into meditation, your upper body should be erect and everything else should just be relaxed. So close the eyes and just start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. 
Just take some nice, natural breaths. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. And out. Your breath doesn't need to match up to the guidance that I'm giving you. This is just a reminder for you to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. You should be focusing the mind on the breath, either the sound or the sensation of the air entering into the nose. Nice, steady, consistent, full breath, experiencing the full breath on the inhale and the exhale. Breathing in. and out. I'm going to use some chants just to kind of ease us into meditation. You're welcome to join in the chanting for those of you guys that are practicing your chanting. And I'll be back with some more guidance. Chacharanang samuno, 
สครโตโรกาวิตูอนุเตโรภูริสาดามาสติสัตตาวามนุสนังภูตภะคะวะติโดยการเปลี่ยนแปลงของกายและจิตให้ไหลไปสู่ความรู้สึกที่ไม่มีความรู้สึกที่ไม่มีความรู้สึกที่ไม่มีความรู้สึกที่ไม่มีความรู้ส
You have nowhere to go. You have nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. And out.
It's great that you guys can join each week like this and support each other, encourage each other, kind of motivate each other along the path through having members of the community come together and join together and meditating and also learning because each Sunday we have classes here as well on Sunday and Wednesday, our group learning program uses this book that is titled Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. And wherever you're watching this or listening to this, you can download the book and start progressing chapter by chapter, joining the live classes on Sunday. This Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 11, which is all about meditation. It's titled Meditation, Developing Your Practice. Where we're going to take a real deep dive into looking at the four types of meditations that are needed in order to attain enlightenment. There's two primaries and then there's two others that are 
kind of specialized meditations that some people need and some people don't. So we're going to dive into those as well as all the other kind of accessory aspects of meditation that needed to be understood and discussed in order to develop your practice. But what I would like to do is give you guys a chance to ask any questions from your personal practice or anything that you're looking at that you would like to discuss related to meditation or anything about the path to enlightenment from the Buddhist teachings that you'd like to discuss. So I'll just turn things over to uh, Basim and all and James. If you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can put your question into the comment section and they'll see it. Or if you're in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask your question directly. So I'll just turn things over to you guys. Hi, David. You mentioned towards the end of the chapter that we studied on Sunday that meditation is the highest form of karma and that even the feelings of calm that we receive during meditation are essentially karma being returned to us immediately. I was wondering if you could just perhaps describe and expand on that a bit more about the relationship between karma and meditation. Sure. So karma or the natural law of karma it's cause and effect, action and result. It's essentially the results of our decisions. Some people use the word karma. This is from Sanskrit. In the Pali language, which is the original source of the Buddhist teachings, the word kama is used, K-A-M-M-A. And what this basically is, is it's just cause and effect, action, result, the result of our decisions. Any decisions that we make, either wholesome or unwholesome, it's going to produce certain consequences or certain results, not as punishment or rewards. There's no entity that is dishing out punishment or rewards. There's no black cloud or sunshine that's following us around and executing certain things in our life. It's just that based on the certain decisions that we make, there's going to be either lots of wholesome results that transpire because of those decisions or we're going to experience unwholesome results. And the challenge that unenlightened beings are facing in the world is that we don't understand the natural law of gamma as an unenlightened being. And because we don't understand all those wholesome decisions that would take us in a wholesome direction and produce wholesome results, even with the best intentions that we might have, as we've grown up and as we may try to have very wholesome intentions without having a deep, deep, deep understanding of this natural law, your decisions are going to be tainted with unwholesomeness. And this unwholesomeness comes from the three unwholesome roots of craving, anger, and ignorance. And because of the craving, anger, and ignorance that we have in the unenlightened state, then our decisions are tainted with that or polluted with that and that is why we struggle through this life and having challenges of things that are transpiring in our life that we don't understand or things happen and we don't know how to respond to it how to relate to it we just react out of craving anger and ignorance so through learning the buddhist teachings and training the mind we awaken to this enlightened mental state where the mind has deeper and deeper amounts of wisdom because we understand this natural law of gamma, of cause and effect, of action and result. We understand the decisions that we should make and produce wholesome outcomes. So we use this wisdom to make wiser and wiser decisions. 
they're still free will decisions. We still make decisions just like we always have through free will, but we have more wisdom in which to make those decisions and produce those decisions. And that wisdom is about this natural law of gamma and what produces wholesome results. One of the things that you learn as part of the natural law of gamma is this eightfold path and understanding all the eight steps that would improve your wholesome decisions. Things like right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. And part of right concentration is training the mind to be concentrated or focused, training it to have clarity of mind. And through using meditation, you are ultimately training the mind to develop right concentration, but you're also cultivating all the other factors on the path because right view is all about accepting responsibility for your own feelings and understanding the Four Noble Truths that we cause our own discontentedness, therefore that we can eliminate it. So if someone's meditating, then they recognize on a certain level that they're the ones that are causing the discontent feelings in the mind. At that point, when you're meditating, you're practicing right view because you realize your mind's the problem and you've got to fix it. Now, you might go outside and blame other people for your anger, but at least when you're meditating to a certain degree, you are acknowledging and practicing right view. Right intention is all about harmlessness and training the mind to let go and eliminate the ill will in the mind. That's right intention or right thought or right thinking. Right speech is using those five factors of well-spoken speech, which during meditation, you're not speaking at all, but you know you would need to learn how to practice the five factors in order to practice right speech. Right action is all about harm in our bodily actions. When we're meditating, we're not causing any harm whatsoever with our bodily actions because we're just sitting still. We're not or laying or, or standing or walking. So there's no harm that's coming through our bodily actions during the time that we're meditating. Our livelihood is our livelihood, whatever we choose to sustain our life and our life activities. Right effort is all about training the mind to cut off unwholesome thoughts and arise wholesome things. So during breathing mindfulness meditation, you're cutting off, you're taking the effort to cut off the unwholesome root of craving desire, attachment, so that when the mind goes to the past or the future or have thoughts, ideas, perceptions, you're training the mind, you're cutting it off and letting it go. And you're arising the wholesome quality of mindfulness or awareness of mind because during meditation, you need to develop awareness of where the mind is. Is it on the breath or not? Is it arising certain feelings or thoughts or not? So you're taking the right effort during meditation to cut off any unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities of mindfulness and concentration. And then right mindfulness is awareness of mind, which is what you're practicing during breathing mindfulness meditation. And you're developing that more and more during meditation so that outside of meditation in your daily life, you'll have more and more awareness of the mind because you've trained on that during meditation two or three times a day. You're training to have awareness of the mind so that in daily life, as things are happening, you just have utter awareness of mind. 
and then right concentration, which is meditation, but it's also a byproduct of practicing all the other factors on the path. By practicing all these factors, including meditation, then you develop this more concentrated mind. So when you're actually meditating, doing breathing mindfulness meditation, it's the most wholesome thing that you could actually do and produce the most wholesome gamma because you're actually practicing the entire Eightfold Path all at one time for 30 minutes or an hour, however long you're doing that for. And you're doing that two or three times a day. So you're creating more and more space in your life for this entire Eightfold Path to be practiced all at one time. If you're meditating in the morning and then you're meditating in the middle of the day and the evening, then you've got four to six hours between meditations and now you just need to train the mind to practice all these eight factors during all the other parts of your life. So by practicing meditation while you're actually doing it, it's producing lots and lots of wholesome gamma. And that's why you experience that calmness and that peacefulness at the end of your meditation. You get more concentration. But also, if you now take those benefits into your life, you're now producing more and more wholesome gamma because the mind is better trained to practice all the other factors of the path. So you're causing less harm in the world for those four to six hours between meditations. And by causing less and less and less harm, less and less harm is coming back to you. So now you practice meditation again, maybe in the middle of the day or in the evening. And then you just keep repeating this cycle where you're knocking down all this craving, anger, and ignorance, and you're producing more and more wholesome results. And one of the most important wholesome decisions that you can make that's going to produce wholesome results is meditating because you're practicing all eight factors. And then the mind is going to have more of a tendency to practice those eight factors outside of meditation as well. The more you understand those eight factors and practice them with all the other teachings, then your decisions get cleaned up more and more and more instead of just going through life haphazardly as we did before we were on this path and kind of struggle with everything that we're doing. When you're on this path, you have more and more wisdom to conduct your daily life and make better and better decisions and clean up all the unwholesomeness. So rather than just kind of plow through life without any knowledge of this natural law, by training and learning the wisdom of the Buddhist teachings and training the mind to practice that, you now walk through life understanding this natural law and be able to make wise decisions based on it. Just like we make wise decisions based on gravity now. We know to tie our shoes and make sure they're tied. We know to look down at the ground and make sure we're not tripping over rocks or broken sidewalk, or we know how to move about and ensure that we're not falling down and hurting ourselves. We know how to ride a bike, but all of that came with gradual training and making better and better decisions. And then as we made decisions, we kind of observed, oh, we did that and I fell down. So maybe I shouldn't do that again. Maybe I should do it like this. So over the course of eight, 10, 12 years as a child, we learned this natural law of gravity. But this natural law of gamma, you have to take active steps learning the Buddhist teachings and training on all of these eight factors of the eightfold path and all the other teachings, including training the mind with meditation. And as you do, 
the mind becomes more and more wise and you can just make wiser and wiser choices and you'll see that the condition of the mind and the condition of your life will improve because it's a real struggle to live in the world that you don't understand you know when we're just going through life not understanding how to make decisions we don't know if we're making the right decision or not so we're kind of wavering the mind is unstable and we make a decision and we think it's the best decision but then something happens back it's like whoa like where did that come from had no idea that was going to happen but when you have this wisdom and you have a focused and concentrated mind and you make wiser and wiser decisions then every single decision you're putting out in the world is producing wholesome results and you just kind of have to go through a very elongated period of time where you're learning you're reflecting you're practicing and you're training the mind more and more to be able to have this wisdom to make wiser and wiser choices and one of those wise choices is to meditate each day and when you meditate you'll see the improvement but this path to enlightenment isn't just meditation there's a lot more to it but that's definitely a big component to it and as you do you'll get better and better results during your meditation and then outside of meditation as well. The less and less amount of harm that we're causing, the less and less unwholesome results that we have to deal with. So that's why meditation is the highest quality of wholesome gamma that you could ever produce. So I suppose the sense of calm we may feel during meditation is a bit of a preview of what we can expect if we have our life in such a way that we're practicing the eightfold path on a daily basis, that we're going to have that calm and still mind. Exactly. You know, and it's going to take time, right? If you're experiencing some calmness and peacefulness in meditation, even if it's two or three seconds, right? The idea is, is that the more you train the mind to be in the present moment, because that's the reason why the mind's experiencing so much peacefulness, because it's in the present moment and it's practicing all eight factors of the path. So even if it's just three seconds, then what you're doing is you're looking to elongate that more and more during your meditation and during your life. Because the more that your mind can stay in the present moment, then it will experience that peacefulness. Whereas if you're talking on the phone to your mom or your brother or your boss, but your mind is somewhere else, then you're going to make unwholesome decisions there because your mind isn't focused and concentrated on the conversation. And you're going to be worrying about something in the past, or you're going to be worrying about something in the future. So that's where if you train in meditation to cut off and let go whenever the mind isn't in the present moment, when you're on that phone call or whatever it is that you're doing, and you notice the mind's not in the present moment, you cut it off and let it go and bring it back to the present moment. So you train it in meditation, but then you have to continue to apply with right mindfulness, awareness of mind. You have to apply right effort to actively cut off and bring it back to the present moment. And yes, that peacefulness that you get during meditation, you'll experience that all the time because you'll never experience any sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, stress, anxiety, all of that is completely eliminated from the mind when it's fully trained to reside in the present moment all the time. 
And what you're doing in meditation or what you're observing, it sounds like, is you're getting these little glimpses of what enlightenment might look like. And you're also getting it probably outside of meditation in some cases where you might go a few hours where everything's just completely peaceful or even a few days where everything's completely peaceful and then something happens and some discontentedness arises. Well, the light's flickering and it's going to flicker for a long time. And, you know, when you flip on a light switch, it flickers, it flickers, it flicker, 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 boom, and now it's on, right? That's the way the old time lights are. And that happens in about three to five seconds. Well, spread this out over, say, three to five years. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take each person to get to enlightenment, but just say we spread it out over three to five years. Well, when you first get on the path and you start working on flipping that switch, it's like, eh, the first three months, six months or so, eh, okay. But then you start experiencing longer and longer periods of not having discontentedness. And it's like, oh, wow, look at that. Wow, that feels so great. But then, boom, some discontentedness comes in. So if you think that you're enlightened and then some discontentedness comes in, you can get angry. You can get discontent because you're discontent. So it's better to just never consider yourself enlightened and just observe those peaceful periods where you're getting those glimpses, whether it's in meditation or outside, and know that that's what it feels like to attain enlightenment. And think of it as maybe like a temporary enlightenment. And then just work on maintaining that for longer and longer periods of time. By the time you get to like the second, third stage of enlightenment, before you actually get to the fourth stage, when you're in that third stage of enlightenment, you might actually get six months or a year of complete peace and tranquility of mind. And then boom, something happens. But at that point, you'll be able to deal with it and cut it off and let it go in a matter of hours and maybe even a matter of minutes, as opposed to where in the past it might have taken you weeks to get over something. But even in that third stage of enlightenment, you're still going to be experiencing discontentedness. So anybody who is experiencing the craving or desire to attain enlightenment right now and the mind gets discontent because it's discontent, you're craving enlightenment, you're craving a peaceful mind and you've got to get to the point where you just know you're walking in the right direction and just allow things to continue to progress, keep learning, keep improving your wisdom, keep meditating, keep applying these teachings more and more and just gradually the mind wakes up, just like in the morning when you gradually wake up, slowly waking up from a sleep, the mind is doing the same thing, but it's just elongated over multiple years. Thank you, David. Holly has her hand raised, so let's go to her now. Hi, I just have a clarification question on um, when you said the time period will go where you don't have discontentedness, and then that expands longer and longer, six months or a year and then suddenly something happens. When you say that, does that mean that something happens that causes discontentedness? Or does that mean that six months where just nothing out of the ordinary happens in life is just kind of even keel or random things still happen that just doesn't bother you? Random things or are- doesn't affect the mind. Yeah, random things are still gonna happen because of impermanence, but the mind will have been trained by the time you're into that second and third stage of enlightenment, you will have eliminated a large majority of your craving, desire, attachments. 
So you will have eliminated the vast majority of them. But the conditions just didn't exist where a certain craving or desire arose that you became aware of. It's kind of like some dust in the corner. So there's like some dust in the corner of the mind and you just weren't aware of this particular craving, desire, attachment. And you might have gone six months or a year without experiencing any discontentedness. And then boom, something happens. It's like, oh, wow. But by the time you're in the second or third stage of enlightenment, you know exactly why it happened. It's because of craving, desire, attachment. And by that time, you're, okay, where's my craving? Where's my desire? You've eliminated so many attachments by that point that you're just feeling kind of ickiness. You're not going to feel intense rage or anger by the time you're in the, the second or third stage of enlightenment, but you might feel kind of like an uncomfortableness and unsatisfactoryness kind of internally. And externally, people probably won't even know that you're discontent at that point because you will have such control over your mind, but you just feel this bit of ickiness inside and you'll look immediately, what was it that caused this? Because you know it was a craving, desire, attachment of yours somewhere in the mind. And then when you identify it, by that time, you will have already eliminated so many craving, desire, attachments that you can just jump right on top of it. And that's why it only lasts a matter of minutes or maybe hours that you'll be able to let it go by that point. I have a follow-up question for that too. If someone is approaching the stages of enlightenment and just in general life stuff happens and it's not upsetting or it's not creating discontentedness, but it's just a feeling like you said, like a feeling of achiness. But like, do you think that as someone is on this path and progressing further and further into the path, the decisions of life might be, because they're making better decisions, it might present fewer opportunities for things to go wrong. Yes. <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Okay. And that's, and that's where there's the slow degrading, you know, if you want to talk about it like fires, the three fires, they're kind of being extinguished. And everything looks pretty ashy and everything looks pretty ashy. You don't see any smoke anywhere. Right. And then like, it can be like that for six months or a year. And then all of a sudden, Whoa, there's still a smoldering little ember in there. Look at that. You know, let me put some water on that and knock it out. But you've already knocked down the fire. So significantly over the course of many years that you know exactly how to do that. You do know exactly how to do that. But yes, there's less and less opportunities because your mind is better and better trained. So the situation's just done it exist for you to experience the attachment flare up. And this is one of the things I was talking to a student about recently is that I think of it like wringing out a rag. Like once you go like three months, six months, a year without any discontentedness, you should almost be like on the lookout for situations you can put the mind into to test it and just see if it's truly enlightened because six months to a year of no discontentedness, you're getting pretty close to enlightenment at that point. You still aren't interested in convincing yourself that you are enlightened, but you should be looking at that point of, okay, I haven't experienced any anger, any sadness, any frustration, any irritation, not even an annoyance, not even the slightest little anything for six months or a year. 
okay, let me look around. Where, what can I do? Where can I go? This is kind of like wringing the rag out, making sure there's no dust in the corners of the mine and trying to almost put the mine in situations where it can potentially become discontent because that's going to arise to your mind what certain cravings and desires are still there that you need to work on. See, what the unenlightened mind wants to do is because of aversion, it wants to push away the painful feelings. It wants to create this perfect little bubble that it lives within. And then it thinks that that's what it needs to be satisfied. And it pushes everybody out. But then as soon as somebody comes into your little bubble and the mind becomes discontent, it pushes that person out and pushes that person out and pushes that person. But if you've trained in these teachings really deeply and you're in that second and third stage of enlightenment and you know it because your discontentedness has significantly decreased, that's where you should be on the lookout and be like, okay, what can I do with the mind to kind of test it and just see if there's any residual, the Buddha called it this, residual craving, desire, attachments. That's why if you die at the second stage of enlightenment, you're going to come back one more time. The Buddha called it residual clinging or residual craving. So that's like wringing the rag out and kind of trying to see and test the mind rather than try to push out all these experiences that are happening in your life. As something happens and you notice discontentedness, instead of walking away from it, actually turn around, face it and walk towards it and create a situation where the mind has to get more comfortable. This is the one that I talked to you about Holly, where you talked privately with me about something that you were seeing that was causing some discontentedness for you. And that was what I suggested for you is essentially turn around, walk towards it and start looking at those things. You know what I'm talking about? Looking at those things and training the mind to be peaceful and content even when it sees those things. All right, David, let's go to Miranda now who has her hand raised. Hopefully my dog stay quiet long enough for me to ask. Um, a friend sent these to me. I know that they're meditation beads. I don't know what to do with them. Up to you. Uh, they're, people use these for meditation, but I suggest people don't use them. It's called a mala bead. It's kind of like if you remember the rosary, if you ever prayed the rosary. It's kind of like that where people will kind of count as they breathe or they will use it or have it around. But if you use it during meditation, it's just going to get the mind fixed to it and attached to it. It's an external thing and you're not always going to have it with you. So I don't suggest that you use it during meditation because it's just going to be one more thing you have to let go of at some point. Somebody gave me one a long time ago, too. I have this here. But it just basically lays on my desk. <laughs> and at one point, I hung it up on my curtain rod. And I told him I was going to give it away to somebody. And he told me to give it to my son. And my son was like, I don't want it. <laughs> I don't need it. So it's nice when people give you these kind of things because it's like generosity. And you need to accept the gift from them. But in terms of using it during your meditation, it's not a good idea. I would suggest you find something else to use it for or with or give it to somebody else <laughs> okay thank you you're welcome all right david that seems to be all the questions we have for now okay well thank you guys for joining thank you guys for 
deciding to learn and practice these teachings. Like I mentioned on Sunday, we're going to be diving into chapter 11, meditation, developing your practice. And then next Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation. So we'll do some breathing mindfulness meditation first, go into loving kindness, and then finish up with breathing mindfulness. Same thing. We're not going to actually spend any time to really teach meditation because we're doing that on Sunday. And I've done that on other sessions on Wednesday as well. So we'll just go right into meditation on Wednesday. So enjoy the rest of your day. Have a lovely day. And we'll see you either Sunday or next Wednesday. Take care. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.